My name is Erin and today we'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 to 8. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. Good morning. My name's Stephen, one of the ministers here. Did you read that story a, um, a week or so ago about a um, 15-year-old girl in Canberra who started getting death threats on her phone and all sorts of other horrible threats from all around the world, in fact. And she, she comes out to her mum and she has no idea why she's getting them. And it, it turned out that someone had mistakenly thought that she was involved in making and posting a, a racist video on the internet. And so someone had called on, you know, the internet warriors to, um, to make her pay for her crime. And boy, did they make her pay. Her phone was, was flooded with these awful kind of death threats and threats of, of rape for, to her and her family. Her mum ended up in hospital with the stress of it all, with heart issues. And no doubt this poor kid, 15-year-old, will be affected for years to come if she ever gets over it, even though she was actually completely innocent. Her mum said to the ABC that she'd never view society the same again. She, she said, I'm dumbfounded at how society has changed, how vicious people can be, and how it is so easy to attack people from anywhere in the world. And the ABC, they, they actually tracked down the person who first posted that, um, this girl's details online uh, this stuff about the 15-year-old girl. And they asked him why he'd done it. And he said, having people make a, a call to their local school and have their parents' job be called is a great way to ensure racist behaviour will not happen again, to ensure young teenagers know that their actions will have consequences and it is not just going to just affect them, but also their family. He wanted justice, this guy. He wanted her to publicly face the consequences of, of her actions and to be humiliated. But you know what? He didn't want his full name to be published, Cesar. He'd mistakenly messed up the, the life of, of, an innocent, of an innocent kid, but he didn't want anyone returning the favour to him for some reason. I don't know why. Now, I think I'm a, a, um, getting a bit old, but I, I didn't actually know 
that this, this practice had a name. I don't know if you knew, knew that. It's called doxing. It's, it's, doxing is when you post someone's personal details online, like their phone number, their address even, their work, and then people go nuts, making you pay big time for whatever it is that you've done. And it seems like the internet world has got no mercy. You must bear your guilt. You must pay the consequences no matter what. But actually, that kind of thinking, it's not just limited, it's not just new or limited to the internet kind of world. Human nature has always been a little bit like this, hasn't it? The internet, it just kind of gives us a more convenient, faceless way to make people pay. But people used to feel justified making people pay for what they'd done through mobs, mob justice, lynching people. And we still do this in small ways, getting back at people through gossip and slander. And even outside of, of doxing, you see more respectable versions of this where, where you see people mercilessly pursued, an actor or a journalist or a radio host or a politician or even someone at work does something unacceptable. And what often happens? Well, often there's a relentless baying for blood until they're silenced or humiliated or fired. And there's something right about that. You know, we want justice. And it, sometimes it just feels like there's precious little justice in this world. But there's also something a bit terrifying and sickening about it, about the ways that we often go looking for justice and the ways we justify our own actions as we do it, our own rage and bitterness. It's like in our minds these days that there are only two types of people. There are perpetrators, you know, those who do wrong. And then there are victims, those who suffer wrong. But there's not much in between. And so we have this, this tendency almost to want to be the victim so that we can call out the perpetrator and see them bear the consequences for their actions. Do you know, apparently, indignation is the, the emotion that is, is shared most quickly on the internet. You know, cat videos are kind of like here somewhere. Indignation is just far, far above anything else. But what is this mindset of self-righteous rage? What does it tell us about ourselves? And even when we're not the ones doing the harassing or even if we, we don't do the more civilised version of, of baying for someone's resignation and we just smile on, on their fate, we're delighted with their downfall when we are innocent in our hands but our hearts are rejoicing. What does it tell us about ourselves? Well, it tells us all sorts of things. It tells us we're a complex mix of, of good and bad of justice as well as overreaction. It tells us all sorts of things. But one thing we see today very clearly is it tells us that we've got a very different heart to Jesus. Because Jesus has got a very different heart for people. His heart is not to silence people or to make them suffer or to send them into shame and exile. His heart is not to make people bear the punishment for what they've done. Remarkably, completely surprisingly, Jesus' heart is to bear our guilt, our shame, our punishment for us so that we don't have to. And we've all 
got guilt. We're great at talking about other people's guilt. We're not so great at talking about our own guilt, but we all have it. Some of us feel it acutely and we don't really know what to do with it. Others of us are quite good at sweeping it under the rug, forcing it into cupboards and never thinking about it. But regardless of of where you're at today, what you're like, I want you to walk away from here today leaving guilt behind for good. Not holding on to it. Not trying to put it out of your mind, but handing it over. Because that's what God wants for us. That's his heart for us. That's what we just saw in Isaiah 53, as Aaron read it for us just before. You know, like Coop said, this was a prophecy written 700 years before Jesus even walked the streets of Jerusalem. And yet, when you read it, it's clearly about Jesus, isn't it? And you can know with complete confidence, actually, that this prophecy predates Jesus. In 1947, they actually found scrolls in a cave in the Dead Sea area. Uh, And they found, in one of those first lot of scrolls they found, a scroll of Isaiah, which was just read. This is a picture of it here. It's called the Great Isaiah Scroll. It dates to 125 years before Jesus. And you can actually see handwriting here, up close. This is our passage there. That's handwriting from 2,150 years ago. Now, this isn't written after Jesus to to try and make it look like his life. This was written a long, long time before him. And yet, when you read it, clearly it's talking about him. And what you see as you read it is his heart for you. Now, just before we we have a look at this, let me give you a really super quick taste of the whole book of Isaiah, that whole scroll. Isaiah, he was a prophet sent to God's people when they were treating God and treating each other terribly. And Isaiah, he paints a picture of of them getting worse, so bad that eventually their whole nation would be lost. But then he paints a picture of them being brought back to God. He paints a a picture of redemption, of of God restoring them and and renewing them and restoring the whole world in the process to be a world of, of, of peace and prosperity and joy where God would live with his people. And on the way, in the middle of Isaiah, we see God saying how they're going to get from darkness, the darkness where they're at, to the dawning of what God wants to do for them. And our chapter today, Isaiah 53, it's a key part of how God's going to do that. And way back in chapter 11, verse 1, Isaiah had said, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, that's King David's dad. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So in other words, he's saying that there'd be a king in the same dynasty as David who would finally bear fruit, finally bring about what God was looking for. And then did you notice what was read in our chapter? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. We're thinking as as we start this chapter that we must be talking about about this king. God's going to fix the world through a a powerful king, a a king like King David. And that's a storyline we can understand, isn't it? A handsome, powerful king is going to come and make everything right, waltz in and save the day. But then did you notice this story takes a very different turn immediately? Look at what Isaiah says about this king in verse 2. 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He's not going to be a a Disney-type king. Look at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah is pointing forward to the kind of king Jesus would be. And he predicts that Jesus will be a king that we don't value. This is our first point. Jesus is not valued by humanity. And we're not just talking about secular, non-religious humanity. This poem in Isaiah, it was written to religious people. Jesus came to religious people and they didn't value him. That's what we heard read just before. Whether they were intensely religious people like the Pharisees or whether... They were cold, calculating, agnostic kind of politicians like Pilate. Jesus wasn't valuable to them. Even his own disciples abandoned him in the end. Peter denied him. Denied he ever even knew him. Now, this isn't Isaiah telling us that there's something lacking in Jesus. It's the opposite. It's Isaiah diagnosing that there's actually something lacking in all of us. We don't see true value. Jesus, he doesn't meet our standards of beauty. He doesn't meet our standards of majesty. We hold him in low esteem. We don't value him. And this is still true today, isn't it? And we might think, but hang on a minute. We're here on Good Friday. We're we're not at the beach. We're not camping. We must see something in him, right? And that's true, but the point is not naturally. We've had to have our eyes open to see value differently to how we normally would. And even still, we struggle to see just how valuable he is. Naturally, we look at Jesus and we see him as irrelevant or unimpressive or even dangerous. And even if we see him as interesting or worth imitating, even still, we don't see his value enough. But despite our devaluing of him. Jesus values us. And we see that here in Isaiah. Jesus values us by bearing our punishment. That's what this passage is absolutely about. It's clear, isn't it? I mean, look at verse 4. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Or verse 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was punished. Do you see the heart of Jesus here? A king, yes, but not one that we would immediately recognize or value. He's completely different to us. He doesn't cry out for justice in a shrill voice. He doesn't seek to tear others down and and give them what they deserve. He doesn't even cry out for justice for himself, in fact. But he stands silent, alone, accepting. Why? Because his heart and his plan is to take our pain 
and bear our suffering. Deal with our failings, our wrongs, evils. To take the punishment we deserve so that he can bring us peace and healing. And deep down in our hearts, or maybe not even that deep, we, we know that we are those who long to see others suffer for the wrongs that they do against us. Even though we're people who know as well that we do wrong by other people. We're not people who long to take away the shame and guilt of others. And even if we wanted to, we couldn't do it. But Jesus is different. Even though we don't value Jesus like we should, still he values us. And he's not just being the bigger person here. This is power and compassion unparalleled. You know how they say true power is it's restrained might, something our world has forgotten. It's not loud talking, bullying and forcefulness. It's restrained strength. It's unrestrained gentleness. And we see shadows of this in, in life, like a, a father with a, with a child or things like that. But look at what God does here. In Jesus, God the Son stands silent before mere creatures and allows them to despise him. And he does it so that he can take our guilt from us, our disappointments and regrets, the darkness of our hearts, our, our valuing of things that are empty, twisted, shameful. He does it so that he can bear it on our behalf, what we deserve, punishment. We don't value Jesus, but still he values us. And what we see here in Isaiah is that Jesus shows us the way to what is truly valuable. We think we value what's good and just. Everybody thinks that. But the truth is, there really isn't one class of people out there who are victims and one class of people out there who are perpetrators. The truth is, we are both at different times. Sometimes we're both at the same time. Isaiah, he says, we've lost sight of what's truly valuable because we're all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turns to our own way. We've, we've lost our way. We've lost sight of what's valuable, truly valuable. We don't value God. We don't value what He values. We're at best indifferent and more honestly, we're resentful of God, rebellious against Him even. But nonetheless, God values us and He shows us that knowing Him is what is truly valuable. So valuable that God would orchestrate all of history to send his son to make a way for us to turn back to him. This is the only way to know him. This is the only way to know what's truly valuable, to wake up to it. The only way to have our shame taken away from us and the only way is for Jesus to bear it for us. I reckon most of us are, are probably pretty good at... Um, sweeping our, our sense of shame under the carpet most of the time. You know, from time to time, uh, certain things probably bring it out. But partly I reckon that's because we take our read on, on values based on what everyone around us values at the moment. 
we overlook in ourselves any past racism or sexism or mistreatment of women or mistreatment of anyone. Just like we take comfort in, in a mob approach to justice, we take comfort in, in absolving ourselves of guilt by comparing ourselves to those around us. But all the while, we stand before God alone. Now, could you imagine being doxxed yourself? Could you imagine parts of your life being posted to the internet and held up to a merciless world, along with your phone number and, and your address and where you work? You know, things you've said, things you've done, things you haven't done that you should have, things you've thought. Now, I wouldn't even want my kind of recycling habits to be posted up onto the internet let alone the way I've, I've treated some people or thought about some people. But here's the thing. All of it is already fully posted before God. He sees it all. But what does he do with that? Jesus doesn't look down on us and want to shame us and tear us down and send us into exile. Even though the truth is we don't value him, Jesus looks at us and wants to bear our shame and our punishment for us, our guilt. Instead of throwing down a weight of crushing guilt upon our backs, he reaches down and takes it upon himself. And instead of us facing death, he dies our death on the cross that we deserve. He opens the way to, for us to be brought back to what's truly valuable, him, knowing him. Knowing the God who made you and whose heart is to live with you forever. Jesus, he really will bear your guilt if you let him. He will heal you, restore you, forgive you. He will make you a part of, of this world that he is restoring if you let him. You can leave your guilt behind for good if you trust him. That's what Isaiah pointed to. It's what Jesus showed that he accomplished. And it's what so many of us here have, have come to see the value of for ourselves. For us, and some of you have already told me this, Good Friday for you is the most significant day of the year. When we reflect on the depth of what Jesus has done for this world. When we reflect on, on the heart that he has for us. A heart so different to the world out there. So different even to our hearts in here. But if you look at your heart, and the honest truth is you probably don't value Jesus like you should, do something about that. Jesus is real. And he's so different to the character of our world. And he makes such a difference to the character of our lives. He values you. But he won't take your guilt from you unless you come to him and you give it over to him. So if you look at your heart and the honest truth is you probably don't value Jesus like you should, then I want to encourage you today as I finish up to take two steps. Open your mind to the possibility that maybe Jesus really is more valuable than you've realized, more valuable than you could actually ever imagine. That's the first step. Just open your mind to the possibility that he could be that valuable. 
And this is the second step. Decide now that you're going to see Jesus for yourself in his own words. And the way to do that is actually to read one of the biographies of his life and to see Jesus, listen to Jesus as he presents himself in his own words to you. That's the second thing. Open your mind first to the possibility that he really is that valuable. And second, decide now that you're going to see him for yourself in his own words. If you want to do that, I'd love to read the Bible with you, one of his biographies, or Coop's would, or maybe ask the person who brought you along today if they could read Jesus' own words with you. Let me pray for us. Father, we stand astounded at the heart that you have for us, at the heart that you have shown for us in Jesus, that he was willing to die a, a death of humiliation, naked, crucified, by mere creatures in order that he could lift us up, bear our shame, deal with it forever so that we could walk away innocent in your eyes, confident before you, eternally saved. Father, your love, your heart is astounding. Help us to see the value of Jesus, the value of what he offers us. And Lord, help us to see that not just today, but every day and into all eternity. And we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.